0: Good morning, Kat. How are you? Good morning, Shelley. I'm good. How are you? I'm fabulous. We have our second guest ever on canotherapy Therapy today. So I'd like to introduce you to Amalia Dempsey from Amalia Dempsey Horsemanship in South Australia. Good morning, Amalia.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having me here. I'm very excited. Excellent.
0: Okay. Now,
1: So what I'd
0: like to start off with before I go and just tell everyone about how fabulous you are, I'd like you, I'm going to put you to a challenge. I want you to tell us your elevator story, which means you have two minutes to tell someone or us um, about yourself. Okay, Okay. so I'm going to time you, by the way. Okay,
1: okay. Okay, go. I reckon I can do it in less than two minutes. So (laughs) I (laughs) I teach equestrian riders to train their own horses to be calm confident and connected. And I do this by helping riders understand the nature of horses, what motivates them, how to communicate effectively with them on the ground and in the saddle, and leading by example with the training of my own horses.
0: Ah, fabulous. Okay, that's very
1: good. Perfect. (laughs) All right. Okay. By the way, I want to say with that one, it's elevator pitch is really hard because it depends on who you're talking to. Like when I speak to non-horsey people, They don't even know anything, like they don't know what horsemanship means. They just know about racing generally or show jumping.
2: So
1: I'm talking to non-horsey people. I basically just tell them that I do tricks with horses because (laughs) that makes the most sense to them.
0: That's so funny. Like in my previous life as a university academic, the only time they got interested in my horsing was at Melbourne Cup time and they'd always go, is this what you do? And it's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, nothing like this <laughs> Yep. <laughs> oh, funny stuff. Okay. So now you're I, I I'm loving having you on the podcast because you're very similar to Kat and I. And, um, and we kind of have, you know, we walk the same path in what we're trying to achieve with helping people with their horses. Uh-huh. So, but you're very, you're very interesting. So what next question I've got for you, right? So, if you have a professional background in something other than horses, which I know you do, which is very cool.
1: um, Does your background
0: give you any special insight into horses and how to ride them?
1: Yes. So I'm a physiotherapist and I still practice as a physio. um, And I have been doing that for about seven years now. So yes, this has helped me in a big way with training and riding horses but also teaching people so I'll talk about the different aspects of physio and how that has helped me so obviously the anatomy and the biomechanics side of things for both horse and human has helped me dramatically Um, so much so that it's kind of I forget that other people don't understand that now so I really have to break it down for people Um, and I remember a time when before physio when I was you know looking at a pilates for horse riders book in my living room and going what the heck is the psoas muscle? And now it's just so ingrained in me that it's it. I don't even have to think about it. So that's that's a definite advantage for me. Mm. Um, and I also it it really helps me when I'm teaching people who have injuries. I think a lot of other instructors, when someone says, oh, I've got back pain, they're like, oh no, red flag, like I'm going to get sued by this person or whatever. (laughs) But for me, I can really help navigate that within a lesson situation. Obviously, I try to separate those things and that I'm not going to be treating the person um, with physio during their lesson because it's two completely separate things. But I have that in my mind and I can really help people navigate that avoiding further injury during a lesson. So that's great.
0: Yeah, cool. Sorry, go on. Sorry, go on.
1: I was going to say it's also helped me to teach humans because as a physio, you work very closely with people and you Mm. talk to people all day long and they tell you everything the good and the bad, the stuff that you want to hear and the stuff you don't want to (laughs) hear. So it really helps me. It has helped me to understand people on a deeper level. And it's helped me also to be able to get good at. Getting the appropriate information from people.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, that's cool. Yeah. And there's um, more. <laughs> there's I more. talk a lot. <laughs> that's okay. So I'm going to ask though. Do you um, ever treat your clients as well? Like I know you separate it, but uh, do many of them come for you for physio treatment as well?
1: I have treated quite a few writers in the clinic, but yeah. It's- usually not the people that seek me out for horsemanship type lessons mm. it's usually the competitors who are really interested in improving their riding um, yeah. and those who are more interested in the relationship side of things with their horse um, so yes to answer your question I have treated people in the clinic and helped them in that way but it's been more the competitive people.
0: Okay so you see a distinction between those two types of people like the the competitors versus the kind of partnership seekers relationship seekers
1: yes I would say there is a distinction and I would also say that I feel like I'm a combination of those people
0: yeah cool yeah
1: which means both of those people sorry Kat my
2: question is how do you balance working full-time and then like offering horsemanship on the
1: side like that seems really
2: full-on to me So
1: I don't work full time as a physio anymore. I work for myself. So I'm very flexible with my hours. So I kind of do half, half. Um, it's been a gradual progression over the years where I went from full time to four days and now to three days physio and three days horse lessons. So
2: amazing.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy both worlds and I think, the physio background has really given me a a good insight into quite a few areas that has helped me with horses and people. And I also want to mention pain Mm. science because that is something that has really changed and influenced the way I think about horses and pathology. So I want to say that one thing I've learned through physio is that just because there is a pathology, there there is pain okay yep and just because there is no pathology yeah. doesn't mean the horse isn't in pain
0: yeah very true
1: so this is something i think is not understood well in the horse world yet and i no. think people can really be hyper focused on pathology and not taking yeah. the whole context and function of the horse
0: yeah very true actually Cat and i are very interesting to meet because when Cat and i get sore by the end of the day we actually walk exactly the same <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have the same
2: kind of limp. Wow. <laughs> I don't know that mine ever goes away.
0: Yeah, mine, yeah, it's quite funny. It's like we obviously got the same injury. Yeah,
2: that's
1: really interesting.
2: But when
0: you meet us, yeah, you can sort us out. We obviously got the same thing. It's, it's funny, funny
1: to say that because often, you know, my husband and I will be out and about, and I'll, you know, subtly point someone out and say oh they've got back pain and sciatica or they've got a -hmm. problem they've got a foot problem and then you know sometimes we might end up speaking to those people and they'll say exactly what i have said the problem is (laughs) it's pretty cool
0: (laughs) that's funny all right hey so can you tell us like a significant light bulb moment that you've had with horses that really changed the way you did things like how you got on this journey from being Mm -hmm. a competitor to actually exploring, you know, the relationship side and horsemanship side.
1: Sure. So there's been many light bulb moments along the way, and I still have light bulb moments pretty much every week. Um, yes. That I need to talk about the most significant ones and the ones yeah. that led me to, you know, being involved in horsemanship. So. Yeah. Many moons ago, I had some, uh, well, I was lucky to get two youngsters and I was a competitive dressage rider, did a bit of eventing and I was really excited to have these two talented purpose-bred young horses who I still have now. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking about the best way to, quote unquote, the best way to start them, <laughs> um, in their life with me. And I really, I knew that the groundwork stuff and some of the stuff that cowboys did was kind of important. But I always saw it as something that you just kind of potter with when they're young, and then you get on with the real stuff with the, yeah. the competitive side. <laughs> um, and so during that process of uh, looking into different trainers and what they offered. There was this girl next door who was adjusting her horse next door to my parents' property at the time. And admittedly, I used to spy on her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> She had... This awesome horse, I thought the horse was just, you know, uh, an anomaly. I just thought he was a cool horse because she would do liberty circles with him. She would teach him to rear. She would um, ride him completely bridleless. Yeah. I would just watch her because I found it fascinating, you know, especially since at the time Mm. I was struggling just to lead my horses with them being in harmony with the way I wanted to move. Right. Yeah. Yeah without them pushing on top of me. So I thought, wow, this girl or this horse especially, mm. is something that they have that I don't have. And one day I had enough. I was like, I, I can't keep spying on this girl. I have to ask her what she's doing. So yeah. I just walked straight up to her and her horse. I think I scared them in the process because they were nah. so what they were doing. And I was like, hello, my name is Amalia and do you give lessons? <laughs> oh, that's cool. And so that was that was kind of the start in terms of what really got me. I was already pottering around in some, like having some lessons from a local trainer and that sort of thing, but I hadn't really dived deep.
0: Yeah. And
1: her name was Jamie Burns, by the way. She's still a friend of mine. And she yeah. helped me dive deep into horsemanship. Oh,
0: that's awesome. That's yeah, so cool. cool. So your neighbour.
1: Yeah, well, that's yeah, cool. she, she didn't live next door, but she just did next door. So, yeah. Just did next door. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, very
2: cool.
1: Yeah. So, shout out to Jamie if she's listening.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. So, who do you rate as the most important influences in your beliefs behind working and training horses? So, really, who really got in your head?
1: So, my answer is going to be a little bit controversial because right. I know that. The Pirelli program does not generally have a, um, well, it has a stigma around it, put it that way. Well, especially in South Australia, I don't know about other states or other parts of the world, but it does have a stigma around it. But I'm not going to lie and say that that wasn't the biggest influence because it was. I don't speak into the Pirelli program and I think that gave me a really good foundation. It was a great place for me to start and it's a great program to help teach humans how to learn horsemanship. Because yeah, absolutely. It's really broken down. And I needed that total immersion. I needed a step-by-step system or program. Mm. And at that point where I was in my journey, I didn't care if it was from someone with a cowboy hat. Like I just yeah. wanted to learn. So I have to say that Pat Pirelli and his instructors were
0: the biggest influence on my yeah. Yeah. yeah, now look, I want to kind of stick up for Pirelli and all the horsemanship programs because what they actually end up getting judged by is by poor application.
1: Absolutely, yeah. That's
0: what they get judged by. There's nothing wrong, as I tell people, there's nothing actually wrong with those programs. They actually teach good things. Yeah. Um, they actually teach good training, really. They do, but when it's poorly applied or when it's overdone or, or things like that, that's when it gets – that's when it gets diluted and it gets judged badly, you know, Absolutely. or, or my, like my horror <laughs> in the clinic. Cause I, I teach people how to wiggle the rope back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cause this is an extremely handy tool and you got to know, it basically teaches people how to put feel down that rope. Right. Mm. So I teach it for a number of reasons. But there's this video of Linda Perelli. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Um, yeah. Yeah, we all know the one I'm talking about of her doing it on a horse and the horse is resistant to it and it's got one eye and stuff yeah. like this. And like you do come across the odd horse that will have that reaction, right? Mm-hmm. And it's probably because of Linda Perelli that I know how to stop that pretty quickly <laughs> and when what to do about it, right? But they, you know, that's the media latching on to something that's not so clean, okay, yes. in training. And training horses is not necessarily always clean. Exactly. So, yeah, so look, um, I went and saw Pat Pirelli when he came to do a demonstration. And you know what? That man's got brilliant skills, brilliant yeah. skills. And the things that he says, I can watch him again and again and I get stuff from So I do not, um, it's got a bad reputation, but it's got a bad reputation unfairly. Yeah. You know, the, the bigger you get, the more the more it's gonna get diluted and people are gonna take it and label and it. And it's also
2: that. easier yeah. to hate on people the bigger you get.
0: Yeah, and Kat also knows this, like just say with um horseshoes. <laughs> you know, like you know, the whole barefoot shoeing debate and every yeah. Terrible horseshoe that's put up an example of evil shoe is one that's like 15 weeks overdue and terribly shod. You can't judge shoes on that. The well placed horseshoe is okay. And the same is Pirelli program. So there we go, just doing a bit of defense for Pirelli for you. (laughs) So I'm glad you, I have, I am not surprised that that was a big influence and that is really cool.
1: Yeah. And I think with any program, it's important to look at the people who are at kind of the top end of that program and watch how they work with their horse. That's not right. the people who are just starting. Same in dressage. You don't look at prep and prelim riders and go, "Oh, dressage is terrible." Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. You got to look at the top end and the people who are doing it really well to decide whether you know. You generally don't look at dressage as a technique or a program in itself, but you know yeah. what I'm trying to say in that. Yeah, I know. You don't look yeah, at the you don't. levels to make up your mind about this program.
0: Yeah, yes. that's right. You've actually got to look at the heart of what it the actual the actual program, <laughs> not the um yeah, not all the different levels of quality of it. Yeah, absolutely and you also agree. can't
2: judge it until you get a good way into learning it.
1: Absolutely, yes.
2: Because yeah, I've
1: heard of Corelli before before I got into it, and I was just like, oh, that's just like I think I googled what the seven games were, and I was like, oh yeah, I can do them. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Laugh.
0: Laugh out loud. Yeah. Sort of do them really terribly, sort of kinda yeah. didn't really reflect it. But yeah, could I back my horse up? Yeah. Yeah. Could so I pull it you. towards me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. Like, you don't get it. You need the eyes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, very true. Well, yeah. very cool. Um, yeah, so mainly mainly the Pirelli Okay, so what frustrates you most about the equestrian world (laughs) this is your favorite question shelly it hang on missus it's your favorite (laughs) question as well Um, (laughs) so amalia what is your
1: what frustrates you because cat and i love this question yes um lots (laughs) but i have Mm -hmm. to say the biggest thing would be the judgment in the equestrian world so it's difficult because we are generally talking about the ethics of horses. Um, So there is a little bit of, there can be, you know, sometimes we actually do need to step in and say, actually, that is wrong. Um, But I think we all need to realise that most of us are in it for the same reasons. We are doing this because we love our horses. So me 10 years ago, I still loved my horses just as much as I do now. I just know more and have more experience and now I can do a better job. And at that time, I was not ready to change. That's correct. So who am I to to sit here where I am today and judge someone who is in my shoes that I was 10 years ago?
0: Yep, that's correct. Yeah. It's amazing when you can see things that other people can't see. So yeah, I really love that. Um, Yeah, I really love that attitude. That's really cool. Yeah. So it's the judgment, but really the judgment's coming from the hell of a lot of insecurity and a hell of a lot of beliefs and stuff that are not so cool out there, but also a whole lot of people that can't see. Yeah. Because mine can only see what you know to see and they can't see. It's like when you're looking at those seven games going, yeah, sure. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no problem.
1: Exactly. Oh, I, I've been through being in a quite a judgmental place when I got into horsemanship because I thought, yeah. Oh, like what I do is the best and this is the only right way to train a horse now. But now on reflection and going through a little bit more on my journey, I go, actually, I just can't be in that place anymore because there is no one right way. Yeah. Everyone's only doing their best. And who am yeah. I to sit back and judge what others are doing when everyone's just trying to do the best for their horse and they love their horse?
0: Yeah, that's very true. It's kind of like Kat, i got asked ask Kat this question as well. So what I have found in life and through my journey, you actually get less and less not argumentative, but you just you listen more. Yeah. You don't
2: and you yes. Yeah. What you gonna say, Kat? I was gonna say you don't offer your opinion very much. You're just kinda of there to yes. observe and it's interesting and
0: Yeah, you've yeah, it's like well, with me, I'm very cognizant of being asked my opinion. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. I don't
0: just give it anymore.
1: Uh huh. You know? That's something I had to learn as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. But hell when I do, I'll crap on. No. <laughs> so.
1: All right. If so, you ask question, then you can just open up and open up two, the can of worms. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> That's right. can of worms opens up and you can rent for hours. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, Amalia, if you could change one thing people understood about horses, what would it be?
1: It would you be that in general, horses do not have the same needs as us mm-hmm. and that I think that people should – Think of the world through their horse's perspective. They are prey animals. They're motivated by safety, comfort, social interaction and food. They mm. need freedom, forage and friends.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that if in general people could understand this, then there'd be a whole lot more happy horses out there.
0: Yeah. yeah. What's yours, cat?
2: by the way? What would yours be if you had to pick one thing? One thing that I want people to learn about their horses. Yeah. I think for me and where the, the people that I work with, it's that we can have like discipline a horse and they're not going to dislike you.
0: Yeah. So yeah. having boundaries. Yeah. yeah.
2: And again, that goes back to what
0: Amalia said about understanding from the horse perspective. Horse has yeah. a physical reality that it creates in its mind. And if mm-hmm. it if it hits something consistently, and that's a bit uncomfortable, it just stands back from it. You know, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't get all like moralistic about it.
2: Yeah, yes. yeah. That's
1: interesting that you say that, Kat, because I teach like I was saying before. I've got the competitors, and then I also have the people who are really mostly concerned about relationship. Yeah, and those competitors, they don't need to hear that. No, they, they're very happy to say no to their horses. Um, so. We kind of, well, I see my role as kind of softening those guys and helping them really yeah. understand the pressures that they're applying. Yeah. Um, and then the relationship people, I feel like with them, I'm, half my time is convincing them it's okay to to be a little bit firm and have healthy boundaries. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. So for me... Working as a farrier, I don't have problem working with the competition horses. I'm more than happy for them to work with them how they want and I just go in and get my job done. Yeah. The problems I have in my job are normally with the relationship kind of owners when they don't set strong enough boundaries. How interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: there you go. Yeah, because they're putting like a – yeah, they're not understanding a – the importance of boundaries. But boundaries are important just in – they're so important. They are what make relationships. Yes. Yeah. But then because relationship – but boundaries are communicated differently from horses, that's what they struggle with. That's my 20 cents worth anyway.
1: Yeah. And sometimes I look at competition horses and I think – I think they're pretty happy. They mm. know their job. They understand the – press, like, you know, not every competition horse. They understand yep. the aids, the cues that the rider's using – they do their job, their rider gets off, and then it's happy days.
0: Yeah, Whereas, but, sorry, Maria. that
1: gray zone. Horses yeah. confusion and they're like, one day my owner is strict and firm because she's worked up enough courage to
2: do that, and then the exactly. next
1: is loving on me and giving me treats all the time. Like, which is it?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although sometimes I've got to say with the competition horses is that they're dead obedient under saddle, but as soon as you get off them, because the lack of just, say, ground handling skills yeah. and that kind of knowledge, then the horses are all over the shop. Yeah. <laughs> and Absolutely. And they actually can be more anxious on the ground than under saddle because they get, they get consistency under saddle but no consistency on the ground, so that can also happen as well.
1: Absolutely, and I've been there, and that's why previously when my horses were, you know, um, tense, nervous, anxious, I just hop yeah. on that's where my skills were, to be perfectly honest.
0: Yeah, I was but- a better
1: rider than I was on the ground.
0: Yeah, interesting. I just lacked
1: the ground skills. So I think a lot of competition riders or just equestrian riders in general could do a way better job if they just fill in those gaps that they have on the ground.
2: Yeah, true. So did you find that your horses were better when you filled in those gaps?
1: Yes. Yes. And now I would probably mostly prefer to work with them on the ground if they're anxious or nervous. Yeah. Yeah. I still think you can work with a horse when they're anxious or nervous when you're on them, but you need to be a really skilled rider.
0: Yeah. 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 You need to know what you're doing and you need to be able to keep thinking. So you need to be able to not completely triggered by it
1: yourself. Yeah. Yeah, You can't be nervous yourself. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right, Amalia, if you could go back in time and tell yourself something when you first became a professional clinician, what Mm -hmm. would it be? What wisdom could you give your, your little self that went out there and, you know, started helping people?
1: I would say what would you like? two things. Yeah. Humans are harder to teach than horses. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> Bless them.
1: And, yeah. And, you know, sometimes there's a mismatch in a lesson situation where the horse is clearly bored. But the human needs more repetition and needs us to go really slow so that they can learn. So unfortunately, sometimes the horse has to go through that because the human has to learn. Um, So I would say be okay with that. (laughs) It's going to frustrate you, but be okay with that. (laughs) And I would say, don't forget what you already know. So I came, as you know, from a competition background. And when I got into horsemanship, I was so immersed and so eager to learn and so convinced that this was a quote-unquote better way to be with horses that I disregarded a lot of the experience and skill I already had. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah. It's then, yeah. So for me personally, I went down the horsemanship route, of course, as well. And then it was like at the end of it, I was like, oh, I've got a horsemanship horse. (laughs) I wanted a dressage horse. mm, Okay, I might have to go back and look at this stuff again that I actually know. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. All right. So, how do you think having horses in your life helps you?
1: In many ways.
0: So,
1: I think that it really helps me to grow and develop as a human because I'm continuously striving to be better. And yeah. all those lessons are both horse and life related, not just horse related. Yeah. So they have a self-development kind of meaning, or at least that's how I interpret it. They teach me patience when things don't magically happen overnight as I want them to. Yeah. They humble me when I think things should go a certain way and they don't. Yes, especially (laughs) in the clinic when I'm supposed to be the experienced instructor and it's like, oh, this horse isn't responding how I thought it would.
0: There's that moment of like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh -oh. (laughs) uh-oh.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's all good. (laughs) And uh, I think that they help me experience nature because I think nature is really good for the soul and obviously horses live outside. So I spent a lot of time at the beach and the forest and out in their paddocks and I yeah. think that really, that's really therapeutic for me.
0: Yeah. I,
1: I remember when I was
0: still an academic, like around my chair was always this little ring of hay, like <laughs> in the office. <laughs> and the other little thing I noticed was like, you know, people come in from like on Monday morning and we'd all be talking about how your weekend was. And, you know, the most exciting thing most people did was go shopping or yeah. go out to dinner or something like that. And I'd bloody ridden trials and I'd gone to the beach and, and I'd gone on a competition and I'd done all these things, you know, like I I just, yeah, I always just looked at them and go, you know, like, I don't know, I think, wow, your most exciting thing, you went to the shops, you know, and I always felt a little bit sad, you know, it's just like it should be out there in nature and, and doing stuff and I always felt really lucky that I had horses in my life, definitely.
1: Exactly, and I'm always reminded of that when I talk to a non-horsey person and they go, oh my gosh, it's my dream to ride a horse one day. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I take it for granted that I can ride every single day at these beautiful beaches in the forest, even at home on my lovely arena. Like it's just, yeah, we need to remind ourselves that we're so lucky to be involved with horses.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay, so Amalia, if you could go and spend a day with any other horse person, who would you pick and why?
1: I thought about this question quite deeply because there are so many horse people that I really respect and admire but there are many great writers but Mm. there aren't many great philosophers or teachers or people who really think deeply about what they do and why they do it and so for these reasons I've chosen Karen Rolfe
0: yeah Yeah, very
1: cool very very cool. big influence on me and I think that she's fantastic writer but she also is great at explaining why she does what she does and how to do it and I think I'd get more out of a day with her than some of the writers that I think are great at writing
0: but
1: yeah innate and so natural for them that they probably wouldn't give me the answers they wouldn't satisfy me with the answers that they'd give me I don't think
0: yeah, no, that's very, very true. Yeah. What a great pick.
1: Yeah. Yes. Karen Rolf,
0: absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Yeah.
1: I think a similar background to me in that she uh, had that competitive background and found natural horsemanship and it was Pirelli. So yeah, I think um, she combines those two things now in her own way. Yeah. So she's not a Pirelli professional. She's created her own kind of system and she's been yeah. successful not only with horses, but also in business. So I'd really yep. want to pick her brain for a day. I think that would be awesome.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. What a great pick. Yeah. I think one of my most proudest moments was when, when she actually shared one of my videos to her page. It was like, awesome. I've made it. That's awesome. <laughs> like I've made it. Yeah, yes. no, that was really cool. I was so, um, cause I, it, it was in like a transformation, like I'd taken a horse that was really wild and I'd, you know, I kind of managed to put basically some snapshots from my, um, iPhone, like put together, but I also, she's a great influencer for me as well. Like I've got all the books and the videos and everything mm-hmm. like that.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it's just like, there's a number of quotes that she says that are very important. And I'd actually put them in the little video that I made. So I think that's why she shared it. Yeah, <laughs> to cool. someone to, But it was just like, yeah, I've made it in life. Harry Wolf has shared my video. I was so proud.
1: I know the other day she actually commented on one of my photos of me riding one of my horses bridalists. Oh, All she beautiful. said was lovely and I just died. I was like, Harry Wolf. Yeah, 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 yeah. That Complimentary right. and of course, my life is complete. <laughs> 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 it was a sad, sad moment. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I
0: also had uh, my other claim to fame is Ray Hunt's wife commented uh-huh. on
1: a um, blog that I had written and that was like
0: oh I've even made it double not
1: Karen Rolfe and Ray Hunt's wife <laughs> okay that is very cool wow
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah it's funny All right. oh. <laughs> anyway wrap it up but it's been um, fabulous talking to you Amalia
1: um, yes, now
0: was. where can people find out more about you
1: so I'm probably most active on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses, but you can also find me on Facebook, Amalia Dempsey Horsemanship or AmaliaDempsey.com. Yeah,
0: awesome. Okay, it's been lovely talking to you and lovely talking to you as always, my dear cat. Thank you, um,
2: Shirley. Thank you, yeah. Amalia.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay, guys, we well, have a good day and we'll speak soon. Thank Sounds you. Sounds good. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Canter Therapy. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you leave a rating and a review where you're listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find us on Facebook, we're at Canter Therapy Podcast. You can find Shelley on Facebook at Dr Shelley Appleton Horse Training Coach, or she has a fantastic group called Calm, Willing, Confident Horses where she's been doing weekly lives. If you'd like to find me on Facebook or Instagram, I'm at Friendsa Park. Have an amazing week, guys, and make sure you hug your ponies.